Kiwi Yarns with Brody Kane. Kia ora et and welcome to Kiwi Yarns. Today's guest is actually a very, very, very dear friend of mine. In fact, a very dear friend that I've known most of my life. We grew up doing surf lifesaving together. Uh, she is a remarkable athlete, a top water polo player who has represented New Zealand on a number of occasions um, and was becoming a very well-respected police officer, uh, which was not long after joining the police a few years ago. Along with those things, my dear friend Casey Bowery, I believe, is a bloody miracle. You see, in 2018, she fell ill only to be diagnosed with an extremely rare autoimmune disease, resulting in her being in ICU for a year and hospital and rehabilitation for a further year and in a condition I didn't know that she'd ever come back from, but she has bounced back like 2,000% and she's here to share her story. Casey, hi. <laughs> Kia ora, Brody. Hey, um, thank you for doing this. I know we've discussed... Um, the right time and and you feeling like um, being comfortable to talk about what's happened and and because it's a it's a big bloody story isn't it yeah yeah it's a big story and I guess um for me I think it's just about creating awareness um of of what actually happened to me and yeah and just sort of telling my story Amazing. Well, let's start with how we know each other. Um, and, well, um, it's actually our mums. So our mums go back years. They used to do surf lifesaving together. And then we sort of met. We're very, uh, us and our, our mums are very similar, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, you don't, you know, my partner Michael would say, are you guys going out for lunch? Oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll just stay behind. You four go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, a hurricane or like a freight train barreling down the bloody tracks and case you've always been a, a beach lover like myself but at an early age you got a bit more into water polo what sort of drew you to that yeah I think um you know surf lifesaving and we can all stand here and say surf lifesaving and water polo as well as swimming it all you know like it complements each other so well so you know a lot of us were heavily involved with surf lifesaving and um you know we continue that until we're about 18 but I guess there was at some stage there where um, you know, we had to make that choice whether we were going to follow, you know, like, you know, what what was going to be, you know, what we wanted to do. And I guess for me, it was water polo. I mean, I still continued, you know, doing surf lifesaving until, you know, probably around 18. But I think, you know, you know, water polo was just something that I had that great passion for and, and I was really good at. So I just, that's the path that I led. But as I said, you know, it's, it still does now, you know, there's still a lot of clubbies that are still playing water polo and you can still do that and compliment um, it complements each other very well, you know. You, if you're playing water polo, you know you're, you're doing surf. You're still um, doing that exercise that you need to be good at both of those things. So yeah, I think it was a big decision, and um, I was lucky that you know I had a really good coach um, who did surf lifesaving as well, and that was Fraser, and he allowed us to um, you know make sure that we were you know not picking a sport from a younger age and and just you know doing what we were enjoying, and that was both surf and. Um, and water polo, but I think, yeah, from a young age, I did start to realise that I was going to be a water baby and not, you know, my dad wanted me to play hockey and all this sort of nonsense, but, you know, I was I was a galah that I wasn't going to be running around on a hockey field, so, yeah, the water just sort of drew me, and as I said, like, I miss the beach, and I wish I could still live there, which I don't at the moment, but, yeah, I think the beach will always hold a special place in my heart, um, but, yeah, water polo is sort of just that, you know, it, it was where I wanted to be, and it was taking me around the world, and... And that's sort of where it all began. So, yeah. 
And for people that haven't played it or even maybe watched it, um, gosh, it's a brutal sport, isn't it? It's like a bunch of chicks in the pool belting each other around with a ball and having to sprint, swim at the same time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we talk about, I think they say three of the hardest sports in the world are boxing, kayaking and water polo, I think. And you'll see that, you know, you see the athleticism of like, boxers you see Lisa Carrington and her kayak you know you see water polo players like you know it's easy for us to run and like you know it's easy for you to run and do a like hockey game because we all learn how to run and we learn how to walk but like swimming and like learning how to tread water and keep up in a, like a you know an hour and a half game it's really really hard so you know it, it's a very hard sport and um it's a very technical sport um and it's fun it's yeah it's great fun and you've played you know it's it's great fun you know yeah, and but it is very, very, you know, it's rough. It's not, it's a contact sport. So if you don't want to play a contact sport, then I wouldn't um, yeah. lead you to water polo. No. I mean, you did, you, you've mentioned that you've travelled all around the world um, with an amazing water polo career and I, I guess some lifelong friendships. And because it's a minority sport, so you can speak firsthand to the struggles. Uh, here in New Zealand to play a sport that does, has bugger all funding and you pretty much have to hustle to play, right? Yeah, I guess, you know, like I was lucky enough that I had, you know, like my family was so small. My mum, obviously my dad passed away when I was 13. Um, he wanted me to play all this, you know, go play hockey, do tennis and all that. And, you know, like water polo was what I wanted to do. And so I guess from a young age, I was lucky enough that I had, you know, like mum to support me and, and you know, like I, I started working, I was lifeguarding, as you said, you go back to that surf lifesaving um, and, you know, I had to do my best to try and, um, you know, everything was, was pay, you know, we had to pay for everything. I think the first trip, um, you know, I went on, yeah, like and maybe it was like Russia in 2009 where there was actually five Canterbury girls. And Fraser was the coach, and I think it was $11,000 or something like that. So, you know, like, if you want to be successful, I mean, when you do get to the senior grades, um, FINA, who's the, like, the the international sporting governance, they do um, help fund when you get to, like, the senior level. So they help fund every country's flights and accommodation and stuff like that. So it does start to become a bit cheaper. But, you know, like, I'm working full-time, I'm training full-time, I'm trying to pay my own mortgage, I'm trying to, you know, go on camps to Auckland and then, you know, it all comes in according with, you know, having to stay with people or, you you know, you still have to, you know, eat and you still have to, you know, where there's like, I think some athletes who are, you know, it's no doubt to some of those athletes, but some of those athletes that do get everything from high performance sport in New Zealand, you know, they get, you know, they get their accommodation paid for, they get all their food paid for, they get all their flights paid for, you know, and it's all that stuff that you get, you know, when you're at that high level. And it's just, yeah, it's just unfortunate that we didn't quite get there in my in my time playing. But, I, you know, I never take back and I'll never regret, um, you know, anything that I did have to pay for. And I, I guess it just also makes you work harder. You know, me and Alex used to always sit and talk to each other and just say, you know, like, we have to pay for this ourselves. So it just, you know, it gave us more motivation to want to, you know, succeed. I yeah. Guess. And, and, and as you say, like, you've been to some amazing places and, um, represented New Zealand, the New Zealand women's team for many years. What, have you got a highlight or or, or, uh, or something that stands out to you um, in that pretty yeah, amazing guess, career? Yeah, there's a couple of highlights. I think um, my first, so I actually made the New Zealand junior team in 2007 and we um, went to Portugal and it was just, it was just junior world champs and we actually, um, I was probably the youngest on the team 
and we actually beat Russia. So that was the best result New Zealand Water Polo actually had to date. Um, so we came eighth, um, and to this day, the Russians, they don't, you know, they know us that we beat them in 2007, and they don't, you know, like we see them in a world champs even up until 2017 at our last world champs, you know, like they look at us and they know, you know, like we beat them once, you know, and that's a real, you know, like that's a real proud moment. But I think you can't pick a moment, like, you know, there's so many, it's the people, you know, like it's the teammates, like they're going to be my friends for life, you know. Um, and it's the, you know, like all the things you get to do and the moments you get to share with the people that, you know, like you spend, you know, all your time with. And, yeah, I think that's probably the most special thing that you get out of, you know, sport in general and just, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, hey, so in 20, was it 2013 that you decided to join the police? Was that when you were like, oh, I'm yeah, going to join the so police? What made you decide to do that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I've been thinking, you know, like uni wasn't for me. Um, I played overseas in Australia for a few years. The phone ringing, Um, she's a busy gal, she's in demand. um, I played overseas in Australia for a few years and then came back and decided I was going to live in Auckland because I wanted to, um, you know, that was where the squad was based before the 2011 World Champs in Shanghai. So we thought I'll live there with a friend and... um, trained there with the team and just made, made it easier that I wasn't coming up and down. <coughs> and then um, we, I saw I'll go to uni. And so I signed up to AUT and did a semester there and that was just a waste of time. Um, and then I decided I'll come home and um, I ended up getting a job working for Fletcher's just doing some earthquake stuff. So was, that was, you know, back in 2011, 2012. And then I thought I'll join the police. I was like, you know, this could be awesome. Like I'll, you know, I'm, you know, a pretty strong woman. I'll go and, you know, um, you know, give back to the community. I think that's the biggest thing. And so, yeah, I, I signed up. And then I think about six months or seven months while I was waiting, I got a call and said, do you want to come to Auckland? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I want to go to Christchurch, you know. Christchurch is, you know, a place that's, like, you know, very well known and to be, you know, a good police place to be a police officer. So, um, yeah, and then I think it was just in around about May 2013 I got a phone call to say that I'd been accepted into the um, intake in 2014 and then off I went. And did so, you find yeah. it hard? Like, I mean, like, A, did you find it hard? Probably yes, but also that your fitness and your mental toughness help you through it? Yeah. I think um, the you go there so fit because you're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, like, you know, you, you're really prepared that you go there fit wasn't ideal that it was just before, like, it was just during the summer, and then I went in January, so, but um, I think once you get there, you're just, like, you're so focused, and you're, you know, in that environment, you live there, you're there for, like, 20 weeks, you know, you eat there, you sleep there, you train there, you do everything there, so I think you just, like, you know, it's hard, they, they don't want you to fail, so, you know, like, and I think for me, like, I wanted to, I didn't want to just pass, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, make sure that I, you know, like did well. And I did. I was really, really happy with um, how it went. And it was it was tough, um, I think, because I was still trying to play a little bit of water polo. Um, and I'd only met Michael in, back in 2013. So, you know, we just pretty much got together and then we, you know, I went away. So um, trying to sort of do that. But, I mean, he's been so supportive and, um, you know, through that whole process. And, um, yeah, and then I, so I finished in May 2014 and then, 
came straight um, to a GDB constable at Papanui Police Station in Christchurch. So, yeah. And gosh, you, like, pretty quickly sort of shot up the ranks. You joined the criminal investigation branch. You won an award. I mean, it it obviously was the right fit. You were bloody good at your job. Yeah, I think um, I sit here today and I think my only regret is that I, yeah, I was in a really good place when I, just before I got sick, I was, um, yeah, I'd, I'd just run a big case and, um, we got a really successful result in the end once I'd actually woke um, once I'd actually woken up and realised what actually happened. Um, but also, um, yeah, just before I just before I um, got sick, I'd actually applied for a couple of jobs. I wanted to change, and I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. I didn't want to do my sit, do my papers. I just wasn't decided. I wasn't ready to like become a real detective and you know get into that life yet. So I applied for a job out in Rolleston, just doing some um, you know more rural policing. Um, and then also applied for a job as a youth crime constable, which um, like a youth, so dealing with like high um, risk youth offenders. And I actually got both of those jobs. Um, and I didn't know that because I was obviously um, uh, ill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just, I think there's a few regrets there and there's still um, something in my heart that says that maybe there, you know, there's still unfinished business with the police, but um, you know, just, just with only being a couple of years out of hospital and just trying to, find my feet. It's just um, one of those things that we just have to sort of take one step at a time. We'll always need good police officers, case, so I'm <laughs> sure that that will always be there. Um, let's talk about um, you getting sick because you, as you say, you you have this wonderful partner, Michael. You have a great friend circle, support network. The job was going well. Um, and so I feel like, you know, when we actually talk about this monster of an, of an illness which took over your life um and the first part for people will be really interesting because in those sort of couple of days where you started feeling unwell it, you had no idea you thought first of all you thought you were hung over everyone thought you were hung over from a wedding that's how it sort of kicked off right yeah yeah so I think what had happened is I'd been working some but quite some crazy hours and then what happens is every year that you're in, in the CIB, which is the Criminal Investigation Branch, you have to work like seven to ten night shifts. So I think I'd actually just come off doing that and it had been like a big shift. And then um, so I went I went to a friend's wedding on the Friday and then Saturday it was a really good friend, Lani. It was her um, her hens do. And then, um, and then I pretty much not got a lot of memory from that Saturday. Mm. Sunday it was Michael's sister's baby shower. And so I was up there, and then that's it. That's really the end of my memory of anything. I don't remember um, any any of that week, um, yeah. which was the week that I got sick and um, ended up in hospital. So and and that it's was hard when... for me to tell the story of that because I don't. Um, I only know from what people have told me, which was you know that. You were quite feverish, and that you'd gone into hospital, but then been discharged. Yeah, and so I think what happened on the Sunday is like I was up at Michael's parents, I was Pip's baby shower, and I think I was starting to fall asleep, and they were like, "Oh, she's just hung over, like you know, she'll be right." And I think maybe Michael had to come up and get me because I couldn't drive home, and then we had a few nights of just wasn't sleeping, and started like you know getting the fever and like sick and headaches and. Mm. So <laughs> originally they took me into my GP, I think, and he said, oh, she doesn't look that well, maybe send her in. And I think they thought that I might have had like some meningitis mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then notes sent me home and then I think it was another night when Michael just said I didn't sleep and I was like started to have some hallucinations so something was going on with my brain and and um then I think at that stage I went back to the doctor and then I was back into the hospital and then that's sort of where it all sort of went downhill from yeah yeah but um yeah it's a, it's an interesting thing so um so the the yeah, the, the, yeah. The, yeah because at the time I wasn't aware, like, you know, um, your mum told me about that week and, and how weird it was because it was like, what is wrong with Casey? She's, um, her behave like her, she's asleep and then she's hallucinating and then she's freaking out and then she's grabbing the phone and, and it was a really bizarre time. But then mm. very, very quickly you became incredibly unwell and there was a time where they didn't know what it was. But ultimately then... You were diagnosed with um, an autoimmune disease, NMNDA encephalitis. Encephalitis. Now, people may or may not have heard of or seen the movie doco Brain on Fire, Um, but essentially the disease occurs, now correct me if I'm wrong, but when antibodies attack NMDA receptors in the brain, and it can lead to memory loss, intellectual changes, seizures, and death. Yeah. So yeah. this is an incredibly serious and quite rare autoimmune disease that they discovered you had. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so basically um, it just, like, started to, like, it, it got, I think what happened is it, it sort of got my me into a state of, like, catatonic where I was, like, I couldn't move and I was, like, but I was so strong, you know, like, um, and very like you know rigid and so um, yeah so I think you know after a few days of them sort of not knowing what was going on um, and then my airway started to block off so that's why they um, ended up having to um, obviously you know in- in- incubate incubate me and then obviously that was when I was sent up to ICU so my memory of you know while I was in ICU is obviously absolutely nothing I've got no recollection of the whole year that I was there, or even when I moved to another ward, which is actually on the day of the mosque. The day before the mosque shooting, I think I was moved from ICU. That's um, right, that's right, I remember that. Yeah, to um, another ward, which was actually so good because, um, you know, that wouldn't have just been well, horrible. Th- gosh, so. the, the hospital was completely overwhelmed. The yeah. work that they did was incredible. Um, but yeah. talking about that case, so... You're and, and so obviously, yeah, you only know this stuff because people have told you and your doctors and that. But your, um, your was yours, it had something to do with a teratoma in your ovaries, that's right? Yeah, so basically, um, yeah, so basically, they they found like later when they did some scans, they it was hard for them to get an ultrasound, I think, and what happened, but they originally, yeah, they ended up finding that there was, um, so there was both ovaries had teratomas. Um, one was cancerous, but the other um, the other ovary, which had the teratoma, was actually a benign tumour, which means it's not cancerous. So the benign tumour was actually the one that was causing the antibodies into the bloodstream that it was attaching onto the brain. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it wasn't actually the um, it wasn't actually the cancerous ovary. It was yeah. the one that wasn't have the yeah. And so it so would be I right to say it, that it was attacking your brain, eh? This is what was yeah. Happening. So it was just basically like they just it's just little receptors that like you know, and they, that's why it's just like makes you you know cha- it just attaches onto your brain like it comes into the bloodstream and then it just you know it's just little receptors that 
you know, attached to your brain, attached to your thinking, and they obviously that's what's caused the seizures and caused, you know, all this crazy stuff to happen. But, I mean, I think what's different to, you know, the girl, I've watched the Brain on Fire movie, but I think what's quite different to that is that, like, she was quite, like, I, you know, like, imagine if I was running the streets, like, she was running the streets, you know, like, she was quite unwell for a long period of time. Mm. whereas I was so quickly downhill, you know, like I was like fine one day and then I was out the next, you know, whether she, she can, I think she can recollect like that she was probably quite unwell for a couple of months. Mm. Um, and obviously there was a time there where Michael said, oh, I've just got to take her to Hill Morton. Like she's going crazy, you yeah, know, like, yeah. so it's, it's just messing with your brain. Um, and it is mis- misdiagnosed um, in some of the rare cases. Initially people were like, thinking that it's a, a, a psychotic episode um, yes, in some other cases. Yes, and like now, you know, like they're so, you know, there's a big protocol and, in, in, like, when people come through um, emergency or come through to AMAR, they make sure that, like, if anyone's in any psychotic state or in psychosis, that they make sure that, you know, it could be any in a type of autoimmune disease. Mm. So, yeah, so, I mean, look, it's been a... <laughs> There's, there's lots, there's so much more to, to tell in, in the middle parts, but um, well, I feel like that's the story that, you know, needs to come from Michael and from Mum and from Megan, maybe his friend, and from doctors and, um, you know, uh, that that know a lot more because, at the and as I say, Brody, like, I don't remember anything. No, and, and, and because, and so for people that would have heard you've said you were in ICU for a year. It's 365 I, days, yeah. And I believe that might still be the record case. I, I don't think anyone's yeah. been in there longer in Christchurch. Um, and, and so that was a year, and then and then you were moved to a ward, and then Burwood Hospital, which also is in Christchurch, and then to St John of God, and this was over two years. So for, for me, um, I remember finding out how sick you were, um, a, a sort of a couple of weeks uh, after the you, you know those first signs. Um, and and I remember it being quite a, really challenging for the hospital staff because it was there was so little known about it and they were seeking international yeah. advice um, on on the disease. Um, and then and then my shock to see you in ICU uh, on my first visit, um, you know, a trachea in your in your throat. Um, completely completely just a, a a body essentially with tubes everywhere yeah. and and learning about what your body was doing how much how many how much drugs you were on as well like big heavy drugs and stuff yeah. and how and, yeah. and how prone you were um to infection you know um i, I you know I, it was unbelievable. It, it was an unbelievable time, you know, being in uh, in ICU for that long. But I think um, as well, I'll, I'll be honest, we've talked about this, so it, it's not going to come as a shock to you. I felt sad in, in the first few months, you know, yep, okay. And then it just got longer and longer and longer and, and you didn't seem to be getting any better. I'm not a medical yeah. expert, but it certainly didn't seem like you were getting any better. No. Yeah. Um. And so, but you know, you did. So, like, yes, we. I think, we, I think we, we. We will. There'll be wonderful questions to be asked of your amazing medical professionals. But, I mean, when did you? So we. You got out of ICU, and so the doctors in there are starting to go. Okay, maybe she's going to recover. Like, 
because I, as, yeah. I, as I understand it, very, very slowly, as you did start to recover, like going to Burwood and that, very slowly, yeah. they were also, the doctors were in the unknown as well as to, yeah, we don't know what. Like some doctors in there, like even mum said, like there were some doctors in ICU who just completely wrote me off. They're like, why are we wasting money on this person? You know, like, they're just like this, you know, because it costs like, I don't know, your mum will be out of town. <laughs> millions and millions of dollars probably like yep. i was getting i was getting like propofol sent from bloody america because like you know like i there was nothing used was, up all you know, the supplies yeah so yeah. you know there was people that just wrote me off but then there was my neurologist who i still see today um deb mason she was amazing you know she would come every day and make sure that everything was right and and um she you know i think because i'm young and because i'm an, i'm young i'm fit i'm healthy I think it's just gives you that determination. I feel like if if an older person got a disease like this, it would be a lot harder for someone to recover. Um, as I said, so yeah, March, I think it was, so March I got out to a ward and then I think um, I arrived in um, Burwood, I think it was. It was twenty later 2019, wasn't it? I think yeah, it was. It was about, yeah, 2019, maybe like yeah, May or yeah. around then. And then the first memory I have is October 2019 where I actually, um, Michael was Michael was at a cricket game. Megan and the girls were at someone's bottomless brunch. And <laughs> next minute I'm waking up being like, where is everyone? What the hell is going on? Um Still quite out of it, but by the time... So mum got there straight away because she was just around the corner, but by the time Michael and Megan got there, mum had worn me out, so I must have been tired and gone back to sleep. But So from October, yeah, I start to remember stuff, but I mm. couldn't walk, remember. I could hardly yeah. talk. I couldn't move. I couldn't go to the toilet. I couldn't do anything. And so when you start to come to, but there's a lot of work to do, how hard was that? I mean, you're someone... It was so hard because I just didn't know what the hell had happened. I still didn't even know what had happened to me then. Like, no one had explained to me I had this autoimmune disease, you know? Like, I never started to understand any of this stuff at all for a long time. Um, I just wanted to, like, you know, I just wanted to... I just wanted to, you know, be free, and I couldn't. I was just stuck, and, you know, lucky enough, I had some amazing nurses at, at Burwood, and, you know, they would always make sure that I was comfortable and, you know... And it wasn't until, you know, Christmas when it was like, oh, you're going to start to, like, you know, maybe try and start to learn to walk and, you know, do some, like, lots more therapy and get into the gym and, you know, really slowly and stuff, though. And all I wanted to do was go in the pool. I was like, can you get me back swimming, you know? And there is a hydrotherapy pool at Burwood, so I did manage to go in there a couple of times. Um, and then it was a shame because I caught a... I had a, I caught a bug just before Christmas. No, it was after Christmas, sorry. Um, so Christmas Day, everyone stayed, and we just had Christmas at Burwood. And then after Christmas, I got a bug. Um, I think I yeah. had must have, there was like a, I, maybe before Christmas I had a little bit of, a, like I had a seizure. Mm. And then I caught like a bug, because I was obviously a, a, like quite highly, you know, and, you know, vulnerable getting infection. Mm. Um, so yeah, I got this bug, and then um, so that sort of set me back a little bit. Um, and then it was sort of came to I can't when did I go? And it yeah. was I then I sort of just started to like really improve, and they were like, We think you're outgrowing it here, so we want you to go. I think it was between Laura Ferguson and St. John of God, but everyone was quite against Laura Ferguson, so 
St. John of God was the way we went. Um, and then I think I was at St. John of God for maybe, I went there in February, and I want to say I was there for a couple of weeks, and then we went into lockdown. That's right. It was like, welcome back to the world, Casey. We're going into a pandemic. That's right. Yeah. There and you so go. When I, when I started to go to St. John of God, I was um, still in my wheelchair that I had, um, but I was starting to, like, stand up and take a couple of steps and, you know, like, but at this stage, like, 2020, February 2020, I still couldn't walk, mm. you know, like, I was mm. still tr- struggling to write, like, I was, you know, everything was, you know, difficult. Um, and then I was really lucky enough at St. John of God, I had this amazing physio, um, and her name was Alice, and basically she just, she just, like, took me under her wing and she was like, you know, like, we're gonna, we're gonna learn to walk, we're gonna learn to do all these things, and it was just like, I think, once again, you just go back to, like, my pure determination to, you know, want to be back to, you know, yeah, what I was doing, and so... The journey there was hard. It was tough. I hated it. I I wanted to get out, but the the craziest thing was was that that was when I was starting to learn about what had happened and what this disease was. And um, you know, like I didn't have a phone. I just had there was only so over lockdown, no one could visit because it was obviously COVID and it was like a rest home. Um, but Michael actually went up. He went and farmed for eight weeks. Well, um, because he couldn't like there was not much electrician work, so. He went and farmed with a friend for eight weeks. So basically all I would do during the day is just, you know, do all my exercises, do my speech language therapy, do my occupational therapy, do my physio. Um, and, yeah, and then just, you know, keep learning to, you know, walk and, but it was and a, just get through, really. But so, it was, yeah. Casey, for someone that had been in hospital for two years and for, I mean, your your mum, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute, but... I just remember it happening so drastically fast for someone that had had to be weaned, you know, like not in a bad way, but weaned off such like brutal drugs like propofol um, mm. and and get around waking up after being in a coma. And, and then it was like, Casey's gone to St. John of God. And then I remember my first FaceTime with you. Mm. The last time I'd seen you in hospital was just before Christmas of 2019 and right. you, you could say your name and your birth date and then we put it and then we put a couple of songs on that you were familiar with and you were still in your wheelchair and you'd sort of sing along and then you'd go back to sleep then we facetimed in lockdown and here you are hey good day guys and just so so when do your doctors does your were they blown away by how quickly that all happened because yeah, you're I amazing. Think so. I, think, I think the the other there's a couple of other girls that have had um, this disease in Christchurch, but they were only in ICU for two or three months. So I think yeah, it's just a mir- it's it's a it's a miracle that you know I think I recovered as fast enough as I did. Um, but you know, it was a long journey from when I still when I got home. You know, like I wasn't. So yeah, after when we sort of came out, it started to come out of lockdown. Was it like eight, later in April, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. then. Um, and then I started to, like, having to do some, I could come home for some, like, home visits or, like, um, you know, mum got to, like, I got to take me out or, like, go to the, go here or, you know, go catch up with people and just sort of start to, like, integrate myself into the world, like, or having my FBOS card back or, like, going down to get a coffee or, you know, doing stuff like that with, like, the occupational therapist or with the physios. So they try and integrate you sort of back into the world and then, 
there was just a stage where I just like, you know, I started to come home and then I stayed home for a night and then, um, you know, it was more like come stay home and then only go back to St. John to God a couple of times a week. Um, but it, it was, it was hard. Like it was hard for Michael because like he, I hadn't been here for two years, you know, yeah. and then next minute I'm back, but I'm not like 100% me and he knew that and I knew that. Um, but it was just about like adjusting, I guess. And, you know, and, and that's sort of just what we did. And, and yeah, it was hard. It was, I think it was hard to like, you know, be in a relationship again, um, probably especially for him, because I think, you know, he, um, you know, had to sort of be on his own and he probably didn't know if I was ever going to, um, you know. Which is amazing. eh? Like you, you must think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm really grateful to have someone like him that, that waited and. Stood oh, by well, you. I don't have an option. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, nah, he would have been like, oh, "I've got a good one here." And yeah. I mean, him, him being that way, and 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 you guys, you know, living together in, in your house and with your dog, but yeah. you know, incredible. But also, well, your mum, Deb, uh, yeah. oh, it just it, yeah. the strength and your support network, your friends, and that. I mean, they yeah. were there every single day. They they went through the absolute ringer. Up and down, up and down, but so, so determined, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I take my hat off to them, and I mean, they're the ones that, you know, can tell that story from, you know, in ICU and all those days, and um, and there's lots of diary writing that happened. Like, obviously, you probably don't know, but in ICU, every person that looked after me, which was two per- people every hour or every minute, they, um, there's like everyone has to write, so they'll be like, oh, Casey was like this today, or, you know. So there's actually a diary of, well, there's notes from, you know, that um, everyone's wrote of how I was doing every day, all the nurses and stuff like that. And look, I seen people on the street and they're like, oh my God, hi. And I'm like, oh, hi. And they're like, oh, it's such and such from ICU. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know you, but <laughs> hello. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's things like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to take your hat off to mum. And um, of course, you know, you just never want to see anyone go through that. Um, you know, we've all had enough heartbreak and um pain already in our life like yeah. obviously losing dad when I was 13 and absolutely you know yeah and um and, so she, yeah, and, and, just, she, and you're her you know you're her gal so yeah she just that was not something that would she would ever think would have to happen yeah and I mean we're all a tight-knit family you know like the my, my dad's side of the family were, you know there's only a, a few of us um and then obviously Michael's parents have been fantastic and um, Michael's sister, she's sort of like, you know, she's a nurse, so she's sort of like right-hand lady. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, we're really lucky to have, like, a huge support system and and then just, you know, it's been a hard few years just getting back on track and trying to, you know, fit back into life. And, um, yeah, and, it, yeah, so we're getting there. And, you know, it's nearly been two years since... Um, It'll be two years in about July since I've been out. So yeah, and and yeah. T- tell people because you have still had um, some really annoying kind of like yeah. physical, particularly physical um, effects that you're still kind of battling with your hands mm. and stuff. So it, yeah. how, how's that going? Yeah. So basically, when I was, um, you know, when I had all the seizures and was quite in that catatonic state, all my like hands and fingers like tightened up, and so they were all scrunched up and. So um, there's been a lot of surgeries and a lot of work to um, get my hands to where they are now, which they're in a lot better. Not 100%, but I don't think we'll get there. Um, so, you know, like it's just, just you know, baby steps. But, yeah, lots of surgeries just to straighten things out. And, um, yeah, the doctors have been amazing with that sort of thing. And 
sort of put my trust in them just to say, you know, you guys know what's best and, you know, you need to do. And I guess the aim was, like, for me, they said, what do you want to be able to do? And I said, well, I want to be able to, like, do a press-up or pick up a cup or, you know, things like that. And so they've allowed me to do that. So that's really great. And, you know, we'll just, you know, continue to, um, you know, keep working through that. And I still see the hand therapist every week and do that. So And your your yeah. neurologist, you still see her? Yes, yeah, so that's just a yearly thing now. So, yeah. um yeah, so I still see her just every year. And, I mean, all the doctors are fine. Like, you can see them whenever you want if you need anything or yeah. if you yeah if you have any questions or queries, they're always there and, and you know, available. So. And so life now, um, yeah. you, you know, you're just back to busy, just back to exactly like Casey Barry, 100 miles an hour, you know, living at home with Mike mm. and the dog, coaching water polo, working not taking one day for granted, eh? No. I think, um, uh, yeah, so I'm working. I pretty much got a job just as I quickly got out of, yeah, probably like September I had a job already once I got out in 2020. So it was just an admin job for a friend, which I've been doing, I've just finished up doing, but um, that's been really good. I'm head coach at St Margaret, so I coached water polo there term one and term four, um, and I also work for Drug Free Sport New Zealand um, as an educator. So... It's good, it's busy, um, it's still not, um, you know, like something that I, you know, like, obviously I love it, all of it, but it's, it'd be good to have something, you know, a bit more solid and a bit more, you know, um, but yeah, other than that, we're just plodding along, we're planning, a, we're going to Rarotonga in May for a holiday um, with a couple of friends, which would be great. And fingers crossed, planning a bit of a trip to America at the end of the year to um, see my mum's brother. He lives in Colorado. Um, maybe do some skiing and then maybe come back through Mexico and do a wee, nice wee vacay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, yeah, just you know, um, setting some goals and just trying to um, sort of see where everything takes us. And but also, like... I, I don't know whether um, it's cliche to say at peace with what's happened. Do you, do you feel like you're at peace with it? Is it, you know, how do you feel about um, what's happened? Yeah, I think there's still a lot, um, you know, there's still a lot for me to learn about it and I think um, there's still a lot to come. I think um, there's still a lot more I want to tell and a lot more um, that I think we need to make people aware of. But I think at the moment it's just good to give people a little bit of an idea of what I've been through. Um, and as, you know, we have talked about, I do want to just make people more aware of, you know, this. Yeah. Hey, well, look, um, yeah, we, we, we can carry the conversation on at, at times, you know, when when you're ready for more. And as we've said, um, you know, your, your mum has an amazing story. Michael has an amazing story. And, and your, your mates and, and the healthcare professionals. So um, I'll rip into your Kiwi Yarns quickfire questions, Dales, for you. Uh, which is, and I, and I know you love a good barbecue, so what are you bringing to a summer barbecue? Uh, salad, little spinach, feta, pear, almond number. Ooh, that sounds um, nice. Sausages. <laughs> Brilliant. Love some home kill sausages and some bread. I'm all about, you know, a nice loaf of bread. Yeah. Oh, that's a good combo. I like that. Mm. Uh, what about the five Kiwi people that you're inviting to the barbecue? Ooh, this was hard. I'm going to say Emma Twig. Yep. Sophie Pascoe, or Dame Sophie Pascoe, shall I say. Um, yourself. Thank you. Joe Kane. <laughs> and Mum. Oh, that's, that a, that's a great barbecue. Yeah. We could actually, yeah. to be honest, we could make that happen. 
That's yeah, a real, I think we could do that. I love it. I love it. What about your favourite Kiwi artist or song? I'm going to say 660 Forever. Amazing. Yeah, absolute banger. Uh, where would you love to go in Aotearoa that you haven't been? Uh, the Milford Sound. Yeah. Like, yeah, I haven't been down there. Apparently it's amazing, it so that would ab- be something I'd like to do. Absolutely beautiful. I can highly recommend that. Um, yes. And finish this sentence. I'm most happy in Aotearoa when I am... Sunbathing at the beach with Brody Kane. Jeez, <laughs> we didn't get to do that this bloody year, did we? I know. Hey, and you got it's, it's nearly <coughs> over. But yeah, I have to say that's I'd be right I'd be right there with you, Dale. Thank you. Um thanks for sharing your story. I know we've talked about this for a while and I think there's more, you know, as you say, probably more to come, but um I think people will learn a lot and and for you know this, but for what it's worth, you just you are a bit of a miracle to me, and I, I, I'm, I'm so glad we've, we've got you back. Yeah. Not going anywhere, bro. No, shit, no. Hey, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. That was Kiwi Yarns. We'll see you next week. Kiwi Yarns with Brody Kane.